I'm like the grandparent that comes and brings candy to the kids and gets them all wound up and then I'll give them back to the local parents. Welcome to the 256th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. As that opening quote makes clear, Soil Health Dynamo Ray Archuleta is very aware of the purpose he serves in the movement. He's a cheerleader, motivational coach, and supercharged spark, all rolled into one. If you spent any time viewing internet videos related to soil health, you've probably run into one of Ray's presentations. He's a soil scientist who, before retiring in 2017, spent over 30 years with the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. He's recently founded two initiatives related to regenerative farming, Understanding Ag and the Soil Health Academy. Archuleta also owns and operates a farm in southwestern Missouri. It's fair to say that during the past decade or so, Ray has played a critical role in launching and advancing the soil health movement. He travels the country and gives presentations to farmers and soil conservation professionals about the ecological connections related to soil systems. His PowerPoints and hands-on demonstrations touch on a wide array of topics, from chemistry and biology to ancient history and psychology. I've seen Archuleta speak a couple of times over the years, and he's most effective when his stem-winding talks are followed up with presentations featuring local farmers who describe the successes and challenges involved in their own soil health journeys. That's exactly what I witnessed recently during a Land Stewardship Project field day at the Mervyn and Charlene Beachy Farm in north-central Iowa's Mitchell County. The Beachy's Red Rooster Ranch raises beef, pork, broilers, and eggs using rotational grazing and other soil-healthy methods. Mervyn also owns Focus Forage and Consulting, which provides seed for cover crop and forage systems. After a morning session in which Archuleta used a combination of PowerPoint slides and soil health demonstrations to give dozens of farmers and conservationists a bit of a sugar high, field day participants headed out into Red Rooster's fields for practical breakout sessions on cover crops, setting up a no-till planter, monitoring soil health, and using a roller crimper to terminate covers. After the field day, I talked to Archuleta and Beachy about transforming all that excitement around building the soil biome into systems that can be profitably utilized on the land on a daily basis. Ray started out talking about why we need to differentiate between soil health and soil quality, the reasons why some farmers are resistant to change, and how, in his demonstrations, he seeks that all-important aha moment. Um, so, Ray, we had a great field day here at the Mervyn Beachy Farm. What year, I've seen you speak before, and we, the Land Stewardship Project had you speak about four or five years ago in southeast Minnesota. And one of the things you're really good at is you get farmers and other folks excited about soil health, and then we saw this result in, in the area where you had given that presentation a few years ago, people, you start to see an uptick in cover cropping and in some of these other soil health practices as they start to connect with each other. The, because after you're gone, you know, you're not going to be there to help them the next year. I'm like the grandparent that comes and brings candy to the kids and gets them all wound up and then I'll give them back to the local parents. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. And then the parents have to deal with yeah, it in a long exactly. time. You have kind of been there a little bit from the beginning of what I'm calling kind of this soil health movement yeah. as opposed to the soil quality movement and the soil conservation movement and, and all that. And I don't know if you roughly know how many years, when that kind of started, yeah. 
But if you could talk about that, but also talk about where are we at right now since you started first started talking about these things? Where, where are we at? And I know, I, you know, we still don't have, a, don't have as much cover crop land as we'd like and all, but where are we at in terms of knowledge and I guess some of the, the farmers that are showing up to your, to, to your presentations as opposed to when you were first starting? I, and again, I don't know, how many years ago was it when really this kind of all got going? Well, Brian, I, I'm, I'm impressed with your memory because the soil quality movement started about 1995 with Michael Hubbs. He started going around the country and talking about soil parameters and stuff like that. Talked about soil biology, but didn't, it didn't infuse a lot of ecology in it. And then I took his position, about, it was about 2004, 2005, moved to North Carolina, filled that slot. And I quickly changed the name to Soil Health. Because if you really looked, listened to farmers, farmers, it, it, health gives more of a life Quality is like you're buying a piece of upholstery or a car, or a car, or a couch, or something non-entity part, and I didn't like that. And so it was always to me it was about health. But what really changed was was the approach that I did it with the soil demonstrations, with the ecology infusion, and the holistic thought process. The, the mimic nature resonated really, really well because it developed through time. But I would tell you the, the real hero of this whole movement was always the, uh, uh, the soil demonstrations. Mm. And together also with some great people like Gabe Brown and Jay Fuhrer and John Stick and some of these key critical people that mentored me and, te- and taught me. So it was a collective movement. And yeah. so it really took off. I would say around 2007, 2008, it just started to uptick. And it just got better and better all the year. Well, and that brings up something I wanted to ask you about was the soil demonstrations. So you today did three demonstrations, yeah, four. four really. It, can you just briefly describe, because those, I've heard other people say, even when you're not giving those, but similar ones going, oh, yeah. now I get it. Yeah. Can you just briefly say, and why those are so powerful? Well, the, the first one was my favorite one. It's called the rain simulator. What it, it is is about five pants, about an inch and a quarter thick, and they're about 12 by 18. What they are is you get a a little suction. It's like a a cookie cutter. You cut the soil undisturbed. So I usually get one from the forest, the pasture, kind of mimic the prairie system, um, either in a cropping and a no-till, and and also sometimes uh, I'll use a a pan that reflects concrete or impermeable surface. And so what we're trying to show is that a dysfunctional water cycle and how the water cycle is impacted. And so I show four ecosystem processes when I do this demonstration. I show how you're capturing sun and how uh, water cycle and the nutrient cycle and biodiversity of organisms. All that is done with that demonstration. Very powerful. And it shows how some of the, when you make it rain, how much water runs off and how much actually infiltrates. And it always shows the, the tilled and the heavy disturbed and overgrazed ones, water runs off. And same thing with concrete. All the majority of the water runs off. That grabs the producer. Then we flip the pan of the convention and it's all dry. Like, ah, that just bothers people. The number two one is the slake test. The slake test is was done, we knew about slaking a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's called the aggregate stability or slake test. And what it does is you take a clod of soil, air dry, you drop it into a cylinder of water and it's air dry. A good healthy soil should hold its integrity. The water should fill in 
and, the, and water fill in the pore space. A good, healthy soil will never fall apart. It just holds together by the biotic glues created by fungi and bacteria. And the till one just explodes. So we use that one. Then another one I use is I'll put two clods, one of a healthy cover crop, no-till, and a regular conventional, and I'll squirt water bottle on top of it. And just a little gentle force so you can see the water the, 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 it dissolved. Mm-hmm. And the last demo I use is I take a container that's clear plastic and fill it with a, about a quarter filled with water, get a chunk of soil with all the water, the roots and all the clod and dunk it. And then I try to remove all the soil and then all of a sudden you'll see this water film, this film of carbon around this frothy material. And I say, producers, this is liquid sun. This is what feeds the microbes. This is what makes more zinc, more phosphorus and all the minerals more available yeah. to your team. Then it connects them. Mm-hmm. So I take him down a journey from the water cycle to why it fell apart and show him several parts. And then I said, okay, how do we fix it? How do we, it's carbon, carbon flow. So those demonstrations are very powerful. I think that's a really good point because, uh, yeah, they're not just four separate demonstrations saying, showing the same thing. It's like you said, it's, and that's part of your theme is everything's connected. Yes. Uh, my, the biggest things about working in ecology it's understanding the connectedness of things, interconnectedness. Quantum physics teach that. Theology teaches that. Ecology teaches that. All is a collective whole. All those intimate webs of life connectedness is huge. And then people say, well, why should that I care about that? If you don't understand connectedness, you don't understand when you go out there with your tools, to spray too much fertilizers, you sever those connections. You, then then you're, you don't have those self-healing, self-organizing, regulating mechanisms working for you that keeps your soils healthy and keeps you away from the pests and the disease issues. Mm-hmm. That's why you need to understand connecting. You've got to be very careful how you use your tools. Yeah. One thing that really strikes me is you talk a little bit about in your presentations, but it's also something I can tell you're really mindful of, is the education process. Yeah. That is such That has been studied and studied, and we're seeing, you know, particularly like the work Land Stewardship Project's doing, we've created a network of 800 farmers who are connecting with each other. Yeah. So we're really mindful of that education process. But can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, one thing that? I've learned, Brian, one of the things I've learned is that you're dealing with human beings and you're dealing with paradigms. They all have filters. Uh, we've all picked up filters. You picked them up. I picked them up from school, from my parents, my relatives, my uncles, my aunts, from the university, from your parents. You pick it from the, the local community. You pick up filters. And sometimes a lot of those filters are just wrong. We pick up a lot of misconceptions. And so right away, I know I'm dealing with, with paradigms. I'm dealing with, um, I'm dealing with mindsets. And so you have to create a paradigm shift. And the demonstrations create that paradigm shift. And then when you finally get that aha moment, because I have to go through the aha moment. Everybody, there is no escape from the aha moment. <laughs> Every human being. And then... You just have to be ready and humble to accept that you may not have it right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the soul demonstrations are so powerful. Then I know that the majority of the people that I'm dealing with are early innovators. Mm-hmm. We're not early adopters. They're about 13%. Early innovators, the, the, the thinkers, the, the people that are questioning something's not working. Then the early adopters follow the early innovators and then... That whole group follows afterwards. And there's a small percentage on the other side of the bell-shaped curve are called, I call it the incorrigible. You'll never reach them anyway. They don't want to be bothered. You just don't mess with them. I don't worry about them. I get the first 80%, I'm good. 
what's some of the biggest so we're right now i think the latest stats i saw so it varies by state of course but overall nationwide maybe three percent of our countries cover cropped on a regular basis three to five percent three to five percent yeah and, uh, i would i would agree with you yeah and i think in minnesota it's between two and three percent which is really embarrassing you know but think about this go 10 years it was less than one percent there was a 77 percent increase hmm. it's grown Yes, it's still the three percent of the land mass is five percent not covered, but we're we're gaining. So I'm encouraged. So we take our little victory laps and go for it. And so it's continuing to grow, and it will continue to grow more and more. What when you go give presentations and talk to farmers, and maybe you're not hearing so much from these farmers, but there's probably going to be farmers in the crowd who say just isn't going to work here or this isn't no. I, what are some of the biggest barriers you're hearing farmers put up saying that this is this is why i just simply can't adapt even a basic cover crop system brian brutally honest a lot of times is a lack of understanding and fear and social pressure pressure and let's be let's, let's talk the other variable just plain laziness i mean come on i'm human uh i tell my wife i'll i work on ener- the law of conservation of energy we all do that. We, it, it, it takes thinking, planning, um, scientific in, inquisitiveness and, and research. And you, Being a good farmer, regenerative farmer, takes a lot of hard work. You have to manage. You have to think. Think about what farmers have to do. You have to be a mechanic. You have to be a hydrologist. You have to be a, an engineer. You have to be, a, you have to be a, a, an agronomist. You have to be an ecologist. You have to be a CPA. Name me one thing you don't have to bring when you bring on the farm. Everything. So it's a tough, it's a tough position. It's not easy. There's a lot of things going against the producer that why they don't pick it up. And a lot of times I think it's just fear. Social pressure is brutal. Nobody wants to be thinking differently. That's where we're at. So we got a lot of things going against us. Farmers alone are by themselves in this whole thing. And farmers need to work more with others and build community. We're finding out the more you build these communities like Australia does, it helps a lot. Last statement. I tell farmers, don't do this on your own. You spend the rest of your time, your life figuring it out. Work with four or five guys that think like you, that have nature as your goal. It, then you work with them. Think about what you do. Mm-hmm. And everyone does a little bit of research project on their place, and they share it with a group. Now you took five years in one year. Five-fold yeah. increase. Yeah. Community, the collective whole, working, criticizing, being with people that really think like you is power. Well, that, we're certainly seeing that today. Like you said, you gave them the candy to get them excited, but I'm seeing farmers talking to each other and talking about other field days they're going to have. And, you know, you, that you, farmer. You think it worked out, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I think that worked out. Well, yeah. The most exciting thing, Brian, is when a producer said it was worth coming. The most precious thing you can give of yourself is your time. It's not money, it's of you. So if they come here and to listen, that says a lot. Mervyn Beachy is a prime example of a farmer who was inspired to begin his soil health journey by people like Ray Archuleta. And then, once he returned to his own farm, has relied on a combination of reading, workshops, and most importantly, networking with other farmers to put in place practical practices. As he told me, one can never minimize the importance of ongoing education. So my farm here, I've been here now six years. So I got about seven tillable acres with another seven rented acres just adjoining it. So uh, I'm running about uh, 15 acres, 14 acres of pasture mm-hmm. right now. So we do, we raise beef on a rotational graze system. 
Uh, we do some hogs, some bed, deep bedded pack hogs uh, with all natural feed. We do some laying hens. We have about 200 laying hens. We move in a coop in a pasture. Then we also raise some broilers. And uh, we have been marketing that in direct market uh, system, mostly through farmers markets. And you had talked a little bit about when you had first decided to farm, you thought, well, we'll just jump right into it. And you got you got advice, you know, from the typical places. And it didn't quite work out. I mean, you had some, it, it was a little bit of a rough start. I started into the hog industry and the cattle and the goats and some things. And uh, yeah, I was following the advice they were giving me. You, you got to calve early, you got to get bigger calves and, and all these things. Could have I made it work? Possibly, but it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, calving too early, having kids too early. We just had problems, and when when I started seeing that and started switching things up and started mimicking the way nature does it, there's there's such a relaxing feeling to that, and just things take care of themselves, and that just totally turned my operation around, I feel. And one of the things, it sounds like there was a winter there where you went to the, was it the Kansas Soil Health Conference, and that really opened your eyes. I mean, I, I'm interested in what made you even travel that distance and spend that money in the first place. What was it that really prompted you? Probably what really prompted me on the Soil Health Conference was um, reading some books. Um, read Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. That had in it about Joel Salatin, and we read some of Joel Salatin's book, The Book You Can Farm. That gave us some ideas, and those books made comment about Gabe Brown and about Ray Archuleta. So I wanted to go to the Soil Health Conference the first time in Kansas. I seen Gabe Brown was a presenter, and so that's what got me there the first year. I really enjoyed it and felt like I, I learned a lot, came back home excited. Uh, the next year, uh, I noticed that Ray Archuleta is presenting. And so um, I really wanted to go again. I went again the second time. That's where I met Ray the first time. But education, don't minimize education. I spent about $2,000 that one winter just on education. I uh, went to the South Conference in Kansas, went to the Acres Conference in Minneapolis, went to the PFI Conference down in Ames. About a whole week altogether. Uh, learned an awful lot. That's one thing I talked to Ray about was this education process and this whole idea of there's 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 early there's kind of innovators out there early innovators early adopters that kind of thing but it sounds like you these conferences it probably I assume wasn't just the the mainline speakers the real exciting speakers like Ray the way Ray puts it is he's the grandpa who comes in and gives everybody candy and then kind of walks out of the room and, and people have to deal with how excited everyone is. <laughs> but it must, I assume, also connections with other farmers must have been key. Yeah, I uh, I definitely thought of that too. You know, there's a lot of there was a lot of other young farmers at the conferences um, that were also trying to do these things and were you know just uh, listen to some farmers give their story. I mm-hmm. mean, not just Gabe Brown. It was just other farmers. Some of them were young farmers in a breakout session. You know, just just giving their story of how they got to where they were. That really opened my eyes to a lot of things to, to see these people do it. And uh, going down this path of, of, of thinking more regeneratively, I mean, I, I'm going to say I kind of got into it from financial because I was in a financial bind. And now I see it as simply being a good steward of, of the land and of the resources we've been given. Where are you at now in your kind of process? You, you've been uh, working with cover crops. You've got your, your cover crop business as well and forage business, forage seed business. But where are you at with kind of where you, I assume you've maybe set some goals down the road. Is Are you looking at farming more land this way, raising more livestock, or where are you at with that? 
I really would like to grow my direct marketing business. Like I said, the marketing, I haven't got the marketing all figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, I haven't had any problems on small scale. I would like to, I'm renting some ground. It's three, four miles from here, so it doesn't have any fence on it. Not sure what the rent agreement is. Um, if I can get it, you know, rent it for another three years, we have a three-year contract that runs out next year. If I can rent it for another three years, I said I'm going to put fence on it because mm-hmm. I see the benefits of livestock on the land. giving me the opportunity of less harvest costs, more grazing, mm-hmm. and what I see that's going to do to my soil. And um, so that that's kind of the direction I'd like to go is, is increase the direct marketing business along with my, you know, my land source. If I, if I don't have the land to grow my own feed and some of those things, um, I don't see this as, as as a sustainable system. But if I can, if I can have the land, grow the feed for the livestock, and you know, it's it's. I tell people sometimes it's all about balance. I mean, I could raise a hundred acres, but if I don't have the livestock to keep that system going, I'm going backwards. I mean, for a while, I thought I was going to do four hundred chickens. Well, four hundred chickens on seven acres here where I'm at is too many. Uh, you, you crash the system when you start doing that. It soon ends up being a monoculture on the land, whether it's too much livestock, too much of one crop. Uh, you need that diversity and you need the right ratio to keep everything together. And are you starting to see some things in the soil itself? Are you seeing some observations that you're like, oh, that's where I want to be with soil health? Definitely. Um, infiltration rate, water infiltration. I mean, I noticed it right away this year, dry weather. But we had some big rainfall events, um, even areas of the field where I thought filtration was poor, it was gone. You know, water was gone. Actually got uh, one of those compaction testers and um, went out in the field. And two years ago, of course, when I rented the ground, you know, we'd go down 10 inches and it would get hard. You know, we'd go down and um, just had one out here this fall, just uh, a week or so ago. And it went down through. I could just put my thumbs on it the whole way down through. And it's just like, what's doing this? This is, this is really awesome you're not holding this field day to say hey this is a way to do it i'm not haven't done everything right i've had some some failures and and along the way but it's just a way to kind of bring people together and get them excited what would be your advice to somebody who's just getting started who's even just thinking about something maybe they're a conventional farmer who's looking at making some changes or maybe somebody just starting out new go through some education uh take some education read some books Get to where you have a feel of what you're doing before you jump into it and do test plots. Um, I started on my garden. That's where I started. Go to the back 40 with a little spinner seeder, seed in some intercrop. Um, Try something new. Start small scale. There's no reason you need to do 60 acres of cover crop the first year. Plant a 10 by 10 plot. See what it does to the soil. The ultimate example of the kind of farmer-to-farmer education that Ray and Mervyn are talking about is the Land Stewardship Project's Soil Builders Network, which is bringing together farmers from around the upper Midwest so they can share ideas about profitable soil building. For more information on the Soil Builders Network, including a listing of upcoming field days and workshops, see landstewardshipproject.org backslash LSP Soil Builders. By the way, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the film Kiss the Ground, which features Ray Archuleta and other soil health pioneers like Gabe Brown and Christine Nichols. Besides LSP, the field day at Red Rooster Ranch was sponsored by the Mitchell County Soil and Water Conservation District, the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, 
the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, Byron Seeds, and the Rock Creek Watershed Project. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 